welcome to Diamond and Vine. My name's Ashley, I'm your host, and together we will be exploring the magical, mystical, and everything in between. So on today's episode, we'll be talking about the biblical connection to the moon and the mystical side of one of my favorite kings. So hi everybody, I hope you're having a fabulous week, and if not, I hope it gets better real soon. Um, today we have a fabulous guest. As always, we always have fabulous guests here. Um, we have Sarah El Harar. She is a consulting astrologer, teacher, and counselor based in Montreal who specializes in humanistic and psychological astrology. Her name, Astro Auntie, was coined by her students and clients as a nod to her supportive, compassionate, and straightforward relating style. In her sessions, she uses astrology as a cosmic map pointing her clients towards their most soulful expression, a renewed sense of possibility and personal liberation. Oh, how are you today, Sarah? I'm so great. I'm so happy to be here. Um, This is like really fun for me to do this right now. Oh, good. <laughs> I, You know what? I didn't realize that you live in Montreal. Yeah. Have um, you been here before? No, but I always like, this is one of the things, places I like always want. I'm like, oh, I always want to go to Montreal. I always want to go to Montreal. Like every year I plan to go there and then every year I don't. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. It's well, like not it's terribly far from where I am. Where are you? I live on the East Coast. I live like in New Jersey, um, like right below New York. So it's not terribly far when I put it in. Like, it's like if I drove, it'd be like six and a half hours. I drive to New Jersey in the summer uh, often. So we're going back this oh. summer. We're going to Wildwood because we're very fancy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes, Wildwood. <laughs> That's like Look. the most Jersey place ever. Yeah. <laughs> Look, the water is clean-ish and swimmable for us, and so we have kids, so, you know, Wildwood it is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But, yeah, so, yeah, it's not so far. In Montreal, there's, like, this very short period that you should visit, which is, like, between end of May and October maximum. Anything between November mm -hmm. and April is trash. Don't do it. Oh, oh, okay, because I saw this um train ride thing that you can take from, like, somewhere in New York up to Montreal. It's very long. It's, like, 11 hours. But during the fall, um, you just, like, ride through, like, the Catskill Mountains, and there's all this beautiful foliage. And I had seen this, like, years ago, and I was like, oh, I might do that. But then I was like, no, actually, I don't want to be on the train for 11 hours. That's a little bit a lot um, it's extreme it's um, an extreme ride yeah. it's an extreme ride that 11 hours but i mean you could drive it yeah. that, i mean i don't know it's it, it montreal is great if you could fly one day it's the better way to come mm -hmm. for you yeah don't drive as long <laughs> yeah i'm sure yeah it would be a lot easier and I'm acting like 11-hour train ride so bad. I've been on the plane for 11 hours. I was fine. I made it. But anyway. Um, and I mean, so, the plane The plane um, is a specific kind of nightmare that the train isn't, though. On a train, you can walk. You can yeah. go to, you know, you can, I don't know. It's much more comfortable. Isn't it? Yeah. 
It is true. Yeah, the plane is so, and it's so funny. I know I'm going off on a tangent, but um, I'll get back to it. We're going to talk about astrology. Um, (laughs) My um, years ago, my mom's always like, oh, years ago, you know, the train, not the train, the plane used to be so much bigger, which I think is true. Like she said, the plane seats used to be way bigger, even in coach. And now they're so small. It's like so uncomfortable, but Mm -hmm. we talk about that all day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um okay so let's talk about what this podcast is actually about um yeah let's do this so how did you how did you first get into astrology so you know i um i was thinking about this last time because i think that there is no real time period because my mom was into astrology and my dad was into some mystic stuff also and so it was always around my mom wasn't uh active astrologer like i am she but she was you know she had an astrologer so i always knew that there was such a thing mm-hmm. as having an astrologer like it's not foreign language in my mind you know mm-hmm. uh and so Gradually, like I was more and more interested uh, over the years, Um, literally like more and more and more and more and more and more. At some point, I had my first like real reading from an astrologer when I was 20 and something really clicked. And so from then I started studying Mm -hmm. more seriously. And at some, some point, I feel like when you're studying astrology, there's a moment where you it just goes down to the deep end and you're like boom and it goes mm-hmm. really deep really far um and so by that mm. time nobody nobody can get saved it's done you're in the hole of astrology <laughs> you're done you're staying here forever <laughs> oh my gosh that is so funny so i've said um in previous episodes like, I'm really, really terrible with astrology because it's, I know astrology is a spiritual science, I guess you could say that, but it's really, to me, it's a science because it's very detailed and very, like, complicated with different, you know, houses and different things. And there's different types of astrology. Like, I know there's, like, like Vedic astrology, I think, is slightly different than your, I don't know what you would call the kind of astrology most people know in the west but like western literally okay yeah so it's there's so many different um ways to look at things well one thing i want to ask you okay in with that do you find that different systems of astrology generally end up being the same that's really interesting you know i don't think so necessarily i think Mm. that um Okay, yes and no. Uh, Vedic okay. and Vedic astrology, what changes really is the signs. Um, mm-hmm. They don't read the sky the same way tropical astrology does. So in tropical astrology, really, it's not so much about the position of the stars as it is about the seasons on Earth. So astrology, oh. tropical astrology that, uh, you know, Westerners use for the most part is going to be based on season so spring starts with aries and spring starts on march 20th period march 20th mm-hmm. that's the day and it's the day spring starts and it's the day aries start and then same thing on june 20th 21st starts summer and then 
summer is Gemini always starts at the beginning. And so the seasons are really divided into signs. And the mm. signs are re really speak about divisions of the seasons for us. In Vedic astrology, they're much more so looking at the constellations and following the constellations. So this is like a misunderstanding that a lot of people have is that uh, tropical Western astrologers don't really use the constellations as the actual markers of the signs. So that's one of the major differences. And then in the meaning, maybe there's going to be different meanings um, throughout different modalities of astrology, particularly when you spread it out even further than Vedic, because Vedic still has 12 houses, 12 signs, etc. But if you think about mm. like Mayan astrology, for instance, like you're talking yeah. about like a completely other ball game, you know, when mm -hmm. you're looking at more obscure kind of like different types of indigenous um, astrologies, you will find like more discrepancies in the way that it is read. And so then the thing is that if the 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 teaching goes through the advice giver, right? And so depending on the advice giver, you might get to the same essence, but that's really going to mm -hmm. depend on the on the astrologer. Does mm. that make sense? I don't know if I'm rambling nonsense, yes. but if it makes sense to you, cool. no, 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 that <laughs> makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so that brings me actually to the next question is how do you find that astrology best helps people? Um, so it's it, same. It's going to depend on the person. It's going to depend on what they're looking for. It's going to depend on, you know, uh, what type of astrology is being practiced. In my experience, what I got and what I'm trying to share with my students and my clients is that mm -hmm. um, it offers a really a compassionate understanding of what it means to be a human on earth in these times mm. these times being whatever times you're in you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> these times and this place wherever you're at you're a human we understand it's not easy and then again mm -hmm. all of humanity where the uniqueness of each person but also the similarities the common threads and then you'll see that people care about the same things no matter what mm -hmm. the times no matter what the place no matter what the person they really care about the same thing so there's like a compassion for being human so then a compassion for the self that can come through studying mm -hmm. astrology and then an understanding of time seen from a different perspective and so you'll you'll you're working with cycles you're working with mm -hmm. different themes of different cycles cycles within cycles within cycles and so you're you're working with time literally how to think about time and how to think about being human and so it gives you you know it's a great tool for perspective understanding it adds like another layer of understanding of our condition. Um, and so that's mm. helpful in every possible way, in every way. Yeah. Hmm. That's so interesting. I never thought of it like that, like making sense so much of obviously cycles 
and helping you to understand each other, like, and how other people work and go through things. I mean, it, it does make a lot of sense. Even if you only know, like, and people do this a lot now, right? Like, if you only know, like, the basis of the somebody's sun sign, right? Like, which is, like, I'm a Gemini. And, like, that's what you know. People will say, oh, so-and-so did that because they're a Virgo. Or, like, you know what I mean? Which is the most basic form of what you're saying. What you're saying is way more complex and way more interesting. But I feel people do that now, right? Like, and it's it's almost, like, kind of good. Because people are like, oh, yeah, it's okay. You know, oh, yeah, like, this person's apt to do this type of thing because of who they are. Which is good, I think, People, when they always use it for themselves, that can be an excuse. But when other people are using it, I think it's like fun and it's a way of understanding why people do the things they do. So, yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, and talking and, about cycles, that's super interesting. And, and just like we were saying before, you know, like it's going to depend on the person and the intention mm-hmm. of the person. So if you're a compassionate person who's trying to understand people and to come from a place of self-compassion and compassion for others then it's a super great tool but if you're like somebody who's trying to judge people um and find reasons to judge people and be like oh she's a gemini or whatever you know what i mean (laughs) or um you know like there's different ways that you can use it depending on who you are it's going to come through the filter of you same with an astrology session it's going to come through the filter of the astrologer so there's people who are assholes who do this work there's a lot of (laughs) asshole astrologers there's a lot of Mm -hmm. like asshole astrology lovers too and they're going to use it like assholes you know (laughs) (laughs) absolutely (laughs) exactly it's just like it's it's like anything and any type of knowledge that anybody has you can use it for good or you can use it to be an asshole like you said so that's a good point (laughs) um another question i had for you because i don't um know anything about this either because i was like oh you're an astrologer perfect person to ask oh in one of our previous episodes one of our guests Maurizio, was saying we're going into the age of aquarius what exactly does that mean? And I didn't ask him because I was I was like, oh, I wish I knew what that meant. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm so I'm so happy you're asking me because I have opinions. Uh, surprise. Oh. So okay. So you know what? Good job for asking because it exactly links to the thing that we were talking about. So there's actually something called the processions of the ecliptic, and so while Earth is like spinning around itself for the measure of one day right it's mm-hmm. also um spinning around the or uh, the sun for the measure of one year you know as you know so it's going yeah. like this right it's going to like mm-hmm. it loops on itself but it's also tilting ever so slightly on its axis also much mm. slower than any of the rotations so actually, that rotation mm-hmm. is about 25,000 years to go oh. all around. Yeah. So it takes to about, about 2,100 years to go through what we call a sign. Okay? So mm-hmm. it takes like every mm-hmm. month, every year, and then 25,000. It's like a crazy other rotation. So... 
According to this rotation of the ecliptic, we were in front of the constellation of Aries uh, on the first day of spring. But we are moving, we moved from Aries to Pisces already. Mm -hmm. And now okay. eventually we're going to move into Aquarius going backwards. Okay. Okay. There's no mm -hmm. really, there's no real way to say when that is or when that will happen. Mm -hmm. It hasn't happened yet. Okay. Oh, however, okay. however, so that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about the age of Aquarius. Okay. Okay. However, Pluto, a planet of the planet, Pluto, mm -hmm. has entered Aquarius, <laughs> which it hadn't mm -hmm. done for 250 years. Okay? Okay. So people have been saying it's the age of Aquarius because Pluto is an Aquarius, which will be for 20 years now. But they're mm -hmm. not using the words right. <laughs> okay. So no, it's not the age of Aquarius, which happens in the future. And, you know, people like, so the predictions go that in the age of Aquarius, we will all be free and live the utopia that we all dream to live. So imagine us just like eating mm -hmm. and singing and frolicking, all of us, like heaven, <laughs> right? All of us okay, just frolicking, yeah, right? It sounds great. <laughs> Nature is thriving. The humans are thriving. Yes. It's peace. It's gorgeous. The age of Aquarius. Yes. <laughs> at some point. Not right now. But right now, however, Pluto has entered Aquarius, which it hadn't done for 248 years. And last time wow. that this happened was when the United States was signing its independence so it's really oh. the pluto birthday pluto return of america oh. so america is the only girl we know who is 248 years old we don't know anybody else no other country has an older constitution yeah. she's the oldest and so she has she's the only one mm -hmm. we know to get a pluto return and so pluto return can be you reap what you sow. This is what it means. Oh. America. Mm, makes sense. Maybe <laughs> you should be reaping what you sowed. And so, okay, mm -hmm. so your friend was using um, Age of Aquarius not exactly um, precisely, but so that's what we're talking about when we're saying mm -hmm. the Aquarius talk right now. This is it. Oh, wow. Gosh, I, this is okay. Part of the reason I do this podcast is because I learn so much every single time from people and I just love it. It's so interesting. I never knew. I never knew about the world tilting like that. And then that like the different planets, obviously. Oh, that's so cool. And then the different planets, like you said, the different planets enter different ages because they spin at different rates. So exactly. then that's a whole thing, too. Jeez, you must have to know a lot. <laughs> Look, like I told you, you go, you know, a little bit, you know, a little bit. And if you look very close, boom, you fall and then it's a hole. <laughs> Careful. I know. <laughs> yeah, you know, because I'm thinking like, man, so every single planet 
the ages are going to be different depending on the planet because their days and their years are completely different. I was like, geez, okay. Exactly. You're touching <laughs> on it. Crazy. This is astrology, Ashley. This is, this is exactly what it is. So, for instance, Saturn is every 29 years. So everybody at mm -hmm. 29 years old gets their Saturn return. And that's a special moment. Yeah. And so for every planet, there's cycles and cycles. The, the moon, as you know, is 28 and a half days. Mm -hmm. So yeah. just like women are 28 and a half days as well. So mm -hmm. it's all like, ooh, cycles within cycles within cycles. How are we growing together with these planets? Mm -hmm. Wow. Man, this is crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is so cool. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. So we could go on and on about this. We're going to move to our dish of the week. Well, dishes, because we have a few. Um, so I was on your Instagram, because usually what I do is I stalk the Instagrams of my guests, and I was seeing how to pronounce your last name. Cool. Because it's very unique. Yeah. So it's, yeah. <laughs> and I saw that you said it's um, it's uh, got a Moroccan uh, root here, right? So I was like, oh, that's so cool. I was like, you know, we're going to do our dish of the week. We're going to pick some um, Moroccan Jewish foods that I found that were pretty neat. That I was like, ooh, I would eat all these things. <laughs> yes. I love so, it. I know. <laughs> so one of the things I found that I thought was pretty cool. Okay, first of all, and I don't think I wrote this down, but I just remember it. There's a specific dish. It's like a stew kind of food. I'm not sure what it's called, but it's a very... Um, when I was reading about it, it's a popular Moroccan dish, but they put different ingredients depending on the community. But what they talked about was that this specific dish was a dish a lot of people would cook on the Sabbath. So what they would do in olden days is that um, a lot of the Jewish people would cook the food, put it in the oven because it had to stay in the oven overnight. So when the Sabbath started, you know, they're, they're going home, they're going to eat dinner, but they're not supposed to be using those types of things. So their Muslim neighbors would go pick up the food for them and bring it over. I was like, that's so sweet. And they had these community ovens. Um, some, a few still exist, they said, in certain places, but they had these community ovens where they would keep um, the food. So then, you know, usually their neighbors who weren't Jewish would come and deliver it for them so they could all eat dinner. I said, that's very nice. I thought it was very cute. I was like, yeah, I, I love, love, um, love that you read that. So the dish is called Dafina. Okay, the the yes, prop that's what yes. it was. <laughs> the dish is called the fina. I still make it every Friday. Okay, I make it on Friday. I oh. leave it either in the oven or in the crock pot. I like it in a crock pot. Now I make it like mm -hmm. overnight in a crock pot, and it's really delicious. It is a stew. So the thing is that you can't cook on the Shabbat, right? You cannot cook. You're mm -hmm. not allowed to use fire and everything. So you have to make your food the time before. But it's very, uh, I love what you're saying because Morocco is very unique in that the population of Jews actually predates the population of Muslims in the country. And they've always lived mm. together in peace. And they've always had very mm. good neighborly um, relations. 
Uh, and compared to mm-hmm. uh, every other country in the Middle East where it's been like a shit show everywhere. Um, yeah, yeah. Except for Morocco. So Morocco is super special for that. And both Jews and Muslims of Morocco were very proud of the way that it's done there. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I was like, oh, this is, it's just like, first of all, to see the, the, the phrase like, oh, this was like a community oven. And then to see that the people were respecting these, the Jewish people by saying like, oh, you know what? You go home, set up for dinner. I'm going to bring stuff by, <laughs> you know what I mean? For you. And it's just like, we're all going to work together to do this. And I'm like, that is just so, it just warmed my heart to read that. Yeah. It made me so happy. Um, so was, yeah, <laughs> it was so cute. Um, anyway, back to the actual food. So we have Dafina, which I didn't write everything down because I was like, ooh, this is like very extensive. And I feel like there was so many different like variations, but it just, it's a stew and it sounds delicious. That's all everyone needs to know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, it sounds really good. And I was finding all these different names for it. I was like, this is getting confusing. <laughs> okay. So one thing I found was this, uh, it's called Fiery Olives. Mm. And it's, uh, I can't, I'm, uh, I apologize. I don't speak Arabic or anything. So I hope I do not butcher all the names. I will mostly just say them in English so I don't butcher it. Um, so it's fiery olives. So we'll say Zitun Al-Had is another name for it. So these are, yeah, this sounds really good. So these are green. I love olives too. Um, so use green olives, olive oil, um, garlic, tomato paste, tomatoes, water. You can use some lemon, cayenne, cumin, a little bit of salt and some black pepper. And you just mix all of this up in a, well, I'm going to put the, um, I always put all the recipes in the show notes. So if you want to make this, please go ahead and make it. It's so yummy. I can't even tell you. Oh yeah. I love (laughs) these olives, all the olive salads, even chicken, olive chicken, like all the olives I love. So what's interesting Mm. about all of these. So this is considered like a salad. It's like a side, but it's very Spanish Mm. in its essence. You know how like Spanish people eat tapas? And they have like all of that yes. little little entrees that they have to before they serve the food. So this is like this. It's like something that you'll put on the table while you're waiting for the big meal or like a side, you know, like a little side mm. salad type of thing. So yummy. I'm like salivating. Sounds, I'm definitely going to make that. When they're properly cooked like this with the tomatoes and the cayenne and the garlic and the olive oil and a little bit, you know what you can do with the lemon? So either you can have like lemons that are um, like a brined lemon, like pickled lemon. Moroccans do that a lot, you know, they'll oh. put like lemons and like salt in a jar and wait mm. until the lemon pickles and then use that in their salads. So that mm. salad is made with like pickled lemon but if you don't pickle your lemon because you're not a psycho moroccan lady what you're gonna do is you could (laughs) you could grate you could grate the the rind of the lemon like you do like in a cake you know to add that real like lemon twist so while you're cooking your olives you could like grate a little bit of the lemon peel Mm. done (laughs) i love it Oh my god! This yeah, and it's not terribly. 
I mean, probably you probably have people who've made it forever, so it tastes the best, but it's not super hard to make. So no. if anybody's thinking like, oh, I don't know if I could do it. Yeah, you can. It's not that hard. It is. A, it's um, delicious even if you don't make it the best, the best. Yeah, and it sounds like a delicious, like you said, a side that sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have a, also, I have a Moroccan lentil stew. Oh, my God. This I love that you have all these recipes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. The name like, of okay, it is really I'll messed up. This. The name is Herrera. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not going to attempt that. But, yes, that's the name, everybody. Now you know the real name. <laughs> it's Oh, there's a lot of different. Okay. First of all, there's a lot of delicious they have a lot of vegetables. This is like very nutritious also. There's a lot of really good vegetables, a lot of really good seasoning, not crazy hot or anything like that, but just flavorful. The whole thing, you got onions, garlic, carrot, parsnip. You can put celery in it. You can put, it looks like you can make it with meat or without meat if you want. Tomatoes, chickpeas, lentils, Lima beans, I probably wouldn't put lime beans because I don't like them, but that's not a problem. Um, <laughs> cumin, coriander, salt, black pepper, parsley, one bay leaf because you always need a bay leaf. Um, lots of water and then lemon juice once again. So, oh, so is Morocco, do a lot of um, lemons grow there? Because it seems yeah. like people really like lemons. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, it's the Mediterranean is all the same foods. So really, whether it's in Greece or in Tunisia or in Portugal, or it's all the same things that grow there. Italy, Italy, Spain, the south yeah. of France, Morocco, all of that, they share the Mediterranean, right? So every, it's the same fish. They all eat the same type of fish, mm-hmm. all of these people. Even Lebanon, even Egypt, they all have olives and olive mm-hmm. trees. There's a lot of lemon over there, too. Tomatoes are over there, you know. So it's all of these ways to eat tomatoes. It's, you know, people that come from the Mediterranean, actually... It's like really a sub uh, culture, like all of these people traveled all over, whether it's Moroccans to Italy, to Spain, to Egypt, to Lebanon, like it's all a little bit the same vibe and the same foods prepared differently. But you'll find chickpeas, Mm -hmm. you'll find like all of these things are very local. How to prepare them are going to depend on each country. But there's a lot of vegetables and a lot of... It's like a, a it's a very uh fertile soil the Mediterranean. So there's a lot of food, you know. Yeah. Oh god. I love and like any type of med well, we talked about the olives, but any type of like Mediterranean salad where we got like fresh cut like tomatoes or cucumber, onions, I'll eat it. I'll eat I'll eat buckets of that stuff. It's just so good. <laughs> Agreed. I don't care. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, and then we have these cookies that I found too. These are interesting. Well, where's the recipe? Right here. So then we have these. They call these melt away Moroccan cinnamon cookies. Um, so they're made mm. with um, a neutral flavor oil such as sunflower oil, grapes, grapeseed oil, or avocado. Then you use sugar, almond flour, whole wheat, pastry flour. 
yeah, whole wheat pastry flour, um, cinnamon, baking powder, and salt. And they are really nice cookies. And they, they call them melt-away cookies because I think you take one bite and then they melt away in your mouth. They sound pretty good. Mm, so also yeah. very easy to make. Yeah. Very nice. The thing for okay. Moroccan, the basic of the Moroccan is the tea. You know? Like that's the yeah, big that's okay. the that's the foundation of everything is mint tea. You know? It's like mint tea in the morning, in the afternoon, mm-hmm. at noon, like it mint tea everywhere. Everything is like mintish also. Um so all of these cookies, maybe they melt away because you shouldn't put them in the tea. <laughs> Because there's a lot of the culture of, like, dipping your cookie in the tea. (laughs) And you know what? I I heard this somewhere um, because in a lot of Middle Eastern countries and uh, Mediterranean countries, too, there's a lot of tea and there's a lot of coffee. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but a lot of these places, you think the south of the south of France, the south of Italy, Sicily, uh, Morocco, Tunisia, like you mentioned, Egypt, I'm like, all these places are warm. I'm like, why are they drinking so much tea? Like, but then actually I read something that said when a lot of people, especially even in like, um, you go a little bit down, like in Africa, even in Libya, Algeria, they said that when people were traveling through the desert in order to hydrate yourself, actually, it was better to drink something warm to like match your body temperature than to drink something really cold that would like shock your system. And I was like, huh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I had heard also, because also for me, it didn't make sense why you would want to drink tea in the heat in the desert. But that's the mm-hmm. that's the deal. That's the deal. And also yeah. they cover themselves so much. You know, mm-hmm. they have like a lot of fabric on them because they'd rather be covered yes. from the sun rather than exposed. So it's like a whole different vibe of like how to deal with the sun and the Sahara. There's a lot of like, mm-hmm. yeah. So the countries, you know, sub-Sahara and then Morocco has a piece of Sahara that's actually contested mm-hmm. um, politically. Um, oh, yeah. There, there's a people over there that doesn't want to be part of Morocco. And that is like in kind of like swallowed under the Moroccan umbrella before Mauritania, where they would like to be, um, they would like to be, uh, you know, independent. Oh, all right. Well, I'm going to look that up and put show notes if anybody wants to read more about that, because that's very interesting. I didn't know anything about that. Um, so fascinating. Um, so this is going to be the part of the show where I plug myself and then we're going to move on to our next subject. So um, if you enjoy the show, you can like, you can share, you can follow us, you can do that on any um, platform that you listen to, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever it is, please follow us. You can give us a five-star rating if you really like it. You can also follow me on Instagram as at Dine with the Divine or follow me on Facebook, Dine with the Divine or TikTok, which I don't know how to use it yet but i'm figuring it out and if you have any suggestions for episodes or you have any comments or questions or critiques you can feel free to email me at dine with the divine pod at gmail.com don't and be all emailing that critiques in- people who does that <laughs> don't do it <laughs> just leave me alone i'm just kidding <laughs> you can um 
anything you want. I mean, just be, don't be mean to me because we don't need that. Just be cool. And I'm more than happy to talk to anybody about anything. <laughs> so, so again, so now we're going to go to our next subject. So we have tea time, which is our like educational segment. So I was also once again, um, scouring your Instagram and looking at all the interesting stuff that you talk about. And you had a post about, um, the moon and how it had a lot to do with Judaism. And I was like, I don't know what that means. So I went on a deep dive and I started reading and reading and reading. And it was so interesting. So there's a lot of different things going on here. Um, Number one, most people know, um, and if you don't hear, you know, um, the Jewish calendar is based on the lunar calendar. Yeah. The same like for a lot of cultures, right? Yeah, yeah, the it's a full lunar calendar. Mm-hmm. The months start at the new moon. Yes. The lunar calendar makes a lot of sense because we're following the cycles of the moon and it's regular and kind of like we were talking about before cycles. Um that happen all the time. Um so the next thing that I thought was um oh, there was a really interesting story And I'm going to read this. I got this from Shabbat.org. So I'm going to read this story so everybody understands. So the Talmud tells us that the sun and the moon were originally equal in size and luminosity. The moon said to the Holy One, blessed be he, Master of the universe, is it possible for two kings to wear one crown? He answered, go, then and diminish yourself. Master of the universe, cried the moon, because I have suggested that which is proper, must I then make myself smaller? God replied, as compensation, go and rule by day and by night. But what is the value of this, cried the moon, of what use is a candle in broad daylight? He replied, go, Israel shall count the days and the years with you. But it is impossible, said the moon, to do without the sun for the counting of the seasons. Go, the righteous shall be named after you, as we shall... Find Jacob the small, Samuel the small, and David of the small. Seeing the moon could not be comforted, God said, bring an atonement for me by making the moon smaller. So basically the whole story is that the moon and the sun were the same size, but then the moon was kind of mad about it. So what, so what God said was he was going to make the moon smaller, but all the months and days would be counted by how many moons and he would name people after the moon. So that's why we love the moon. And it was just another reason that uh, has to do with Judaism, which I thought was also interesting. Um, So also, according to some Jewish scholars, they say that the moon waxes and wanes just like Jewish people. Um, Again, I'm going to read from this website because it's really good. Um, For the first 15 days of the month, the moon grows from silver to a shining disc in the same way throughout the 15 generations from Abraham to Solomon. The Jewish people grew from a shining, brilliant iconoclast to a powerful nation with a holy temple. From there, things got progressively dimmed until 15 generations later. Our light had disappeared with the defeat of King Zedeke, I pardon, I'm not saying that right, but sorry about that. (laughs) But like the moon, our stories do not end in darkness. For when the moon is completely hidden, we know that there's light that's once again going to burst forth. I love that. 
So just seeing how the moon waxes and wanes, so does the people of Judea and the Israelites. I like that. Um, and what's the other one that I really love? At the end, I'll tell you the uh, the big thing that I love. Um, okay, so there's a whole there's a whole celebration. It's not something that people do all the time now, but there is a sanctification of the moon. It's called Kadush Lavana. Yep. And it was yes, it's performed once a month. Not and it said when I was reading about it, they said people used to do it a lot more. Now it's kind of just something that people know of. But people used to kind of make this a big thing. So in certain, uh, say it was a certain town where most of the town was Jewish, they used to have this celebration where people, and there's even pictures you can find with paintings where a lot of the men in the town would go to like the town square and they would say specific prayers. And I also have a link to the prayer that they would say. It's really, really, really beautiful. Um, and they said like you should only say it at this time that's why I wasn't going to read it but it's really really beautiful prayer um and it was people go outside at night and they would say these prayers and do this ritual and say a selection of psalms and then they would have dancing <laughs> I was like this is so cool right <laughs> yes I love that I was like oh that's another thing everything that I read for this episode made me so happy <laughs> <laughs> dancing and having fun on the moon um oh another one we have here is that moonlight is for torah study the talmud records the study habits of several rabbis some preferred to get a good night's sleep to learn with gusto during the day while others saw merit in utilizing the quiet nighttime hours for torah study um rinesh lakesh a night owl was want to say the moon was only created for studying by light. So a lot of um, rabbis found that studying the Torah at night really helped them understand it better, which I thought was really neat. And, oh, we already talked about that. Okay, so these are some ways that the moon is associated with Judaism and a lot of things that I thought were really interesting that I never thought about. Um, yeah. It's fascinating. I love that. And, you know, like, I think that in, for a lot of cultures, they incorporate the moon as part of their beliefs. What I thought was really pretty is when you were speaking about the moon being smaller than the sun. Mm -hmm. And then I was wondering, like, how did people know that the sun was actually bigger than the moon? When mm -hmm. looking from my vantage point, without math and without being told the moon looks bigger yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's true and like the you can't sun see is it like a dot it's very bright i know that but it's like a little dot and the moon gets to be like really big in the sky yes and the sun because of the rays of the sun you can't actually like see the outline of the sun too well but yeah. the moon is there. Like, you see... And you just... So one thing that, like, people will say, like, you know, there's so many different theories of why religion exists or why people... Spirituality is like, oh, because people back then, they were getting murdered by stuff all the time, animals, and they needed something. I'm like, no, because there were so many interesting things in the world and nobody understood it. So they were like, well, it must be some mystical force doing this because why is there this giant thing in the sky like every day that just like 
comes out at night and every and they noticed that every 28 days that it's like this and like you said they didn't have calculators they didn't have the internet they couldn't figure it out but they somehow were able to do so much learning that they were able to find out, oh, yeah, okay, it looks like the moon actually is smaller. And it's probably because when it's in this position, it's like this, and it's probably this far away. Like, ancient people were super, super smart. <laughs> super, were- super smart. And so, you know, like you said earlier, that astrology is like, oh, it seems super complicated. So, but for now, for nowadays, it's not that complicated because a computer does all the calculations, right? Mm -hmm. But at some point in history, and so when the ancient Greeks and when the ancient Jews and the ancient Indians, Vedic people were designing these systems, they knew how to count the cycles of planets. They knew how to predict the positions of the stars. They knew the distance between the stars. And so... uh, uh, Jewish astrology is really old and they can account for the cycles of Mercury, Jupiter, Mars, Venus, like everything was already counted in these days. They could like just spend, I don't know, a lifetime in front of the sky calculating stuff. And the astrologers at the time were mathematicians. Mm -hmm. They knew how to do like complicated stuff and like really deep equations and so there was no separation in the olden days between an astrologer and a scientist for them it was one and the same that was science that which became later like no pseudoscience like that's not a science now the Mm -hmm. astronomers would scoff and be like oh never (laughs) you know we don't know them who astrology (laughs) who you know never heard of them but Real talk, they, we, we, they, the astrologers, the ancient we, I was a scientist. (laughs) Hey, you may have still been an astrologer in your past life too. We don't know, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but knowing my uh, problems that I have with math, like I'm really bad. It's Mm. really bad. I suck at, I suck at science okay well you're helping people with your astrology so you don't suck at science exactly i'm I'm a scientist basically (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) white coat (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh oh and the last thing i am to say is that there is a holiday called rosh kodosh am i saying that right i hope so um chodosh Oh, uh, Rosh oh, oh God, it sounds so good when you say it. <laughs> I love when you say it. <laughs> Rosh Chodesh, which is the new moon, right? So every new yes. moon is Rosh Chodesh. It's the head yes. of the month, the start of the month. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it is a minor Jewish holiday, they said, but it is a celebration and it is a holiday. So like you said, it's the new moon. And I love that, that we're celebrating and getting ready for a new cycle. It's the beginning of the month. So, you know, like every first of the month, people say happy first of the month to one another. And they're aware also of the sign of the month. So in Mm -hmm. the month of Aries, they'll say it's Aries. Like they, Mm -hmm. those signs are the same also in Jewish astrology. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So we've learned about that connection and I'm super happy to have known more now. So... All right, now we're going to go on to our story time. Um, 
Today's story time involves like five different stories. So everybody just hold on tight. Um, <laughs> it's quite a ride. Um, so today, like I said, we're going to talk about one of my favorite kings ever. And one of my favorite kings is King Solomon. King Solomon has a lot going on. Um, he He's known for what everybody knows him for is the baby thing. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but he was the last king of a united Israel. Um, and we'll talk about that too. So let's get into it. So King Solomon, he was born somewhere around 990 BCE and died around 931 BCE. So he was the king of Israel from 970 to 931 when he died. So before we even start talking about Solomon, we have to talk about his parents for a minute because it's a whole thing, okay? So there was this guy. His name's King David. You probably heard of him before. Now, if you've ever heard the story of David and Goliath, it was about this guy. He was like a shepherd and he fought a giant and he won. So that's David. That's Solomon's dad. So David became the king. There's a long story with that and we're not talking about that today, but David became the king. Just know that. So David became the king and one day David was, you know, kinging as a king does. And he went up on his rooftop and he's just like, hmm, let me think about being the king and like all this stuff. And he saw this really, really beautiful woman on the other rooftop and she was naked and she was taking a bath. She didn't know anybody's watching her. She's just minding her own business. So David saw this lady and he's like, ooh, 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 she is a hottie with a body and I've got to get over there. So he went over there. And starts talking to her. Now, the story differs. Some people say he coerced her. Some people say he seduced her. We don't know. I wasn't there. So all we know is that they banged. Okay? So and this lady's name, her name was Bathsheba. That's my middle name. Nuh-uh. I swear. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's so cool. Okay. <laughs> I was waiting I... to die <laughs> so patiently. Oh gosh, this all worked out so well. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now we know two Bathsheba's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, but Bathsheba, she's cool. We like Bathsheba. Um, and actually, it, when I read this story. I remember knowing this story from a long time ago. I kind of was annoyed for Bathsheba because like no matter what happened, the king is came over to your house and he was like, ma'am, <laughs> I think you're hot. And I think like, what are you going to do? He's the king. It's nine, you know, it's a thousand BCE. Come on. Okay. You got to do what you got to do. <laughs> you I know? think David was kind of hot too. Like the story goes, David was hot though. Yeah. He wasn't yes. just the king. He was like the cute king. He was hot. And then later on, you're going to find out Solomon was also hot. Like very, very they're, hot. They're hot boy kings, kind of. And poets and singers, too. Like, yes. it's not just like David. David is also like to a rock star. Hello. Okay. Thank yes. you. Exactly. David, like I said before, the whole David and Goliath thing, guys. David, he wasn't supposed to be the king. But he was just that awesome that he ended up being the king. And like, then he sang the songs, right? Yes, All he the sang songs. songs. It's not a joke, okay? These this line of men, they knew how to seduce how to a lady. Do things. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So David was hot. Bathsheba's hot. 
And so, okay. That she's so, married. Yes. Here we go. Yes, this is the other problem. Now, big issue, okay? So Bathsheba is married to a guy named Uriah, and he is in the army. Now, now Bathsheba and David, they banged, and Bathsheba got pregnant, okay? So she goes to David, and she's like, oh, and David's like, oh, no. So he's like, okay, this is what you got to do. You got to call your husband up. Whatever it is what you do back then to call, go send a letter or something. And you gotta go tell your husband to come home um, and spend the night with you so you guys can bang it out. And then he's gonna think you got pregnant by him. And Bathsheba was like, no problem, I'm gonna do that. So she calls him. Now the problem is that Uriah is a really good soldier and he's dedicated. So he's like, Bathsheba, I love you, you're my wife, but I can't stay home, I have to go fight. And she's like, oh my God. <laughs> so like, this isn't good for her. And David finds out and he's like, oh, this is not good. So David, being very nervous and he made a big mistake. So he tells his like commander, he gives him, oh, what happens is actually, he calls Uriah to the palace. He gives him a letter. He says, don't read this, but give this to your commander. So he gives it to the commander. His name's Joab. And this is like his top commander. Gives it to him. And in the letter, it tells Joab to put Uriah in the front lines of the, the battle. Because he knows that if Uriah is in the front line, he'll die quick. So this sucks. And this is a big mistake on David's part. But don't worry. He acknowledges this later. It's fine. So (laughs) (laughs) it ends up being not okay, but you'll see what happens. So he goes, does this, and Uriah dies. So then Bathsheba, obviously, she's mourning. Because, yeah, obviously she slept with David, but doesn't mean she didn't love her husband. So she was sad. But anyway, then David's like, it's okay, Bathsheba, I'm going to marry you. Don't worry. So he marries her and takes her into his house. Now, Bathsheba has her baby and everything's fine. Well, everyone thought everything was fine. So then this guy named Nathan comes by. He's a prophet. And Nathan comes and says, uh, 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 David, God saw what you did. And David's like, huh? He's like, you know what you did? And God is not too happy with you right now. So first David got mad because David, you know, he wasn't in his right mind. He was consumed by lust. Um, like, but now he's getting mad at Nathan. Like, why are you coming to me? Like, I'm the king. Why are you fighting with me? But Nathan tells him that it's not good. Nathan says, you're going to be punished for this. And your punishment is going to be that someone close to you is going to seize your wives and they're all going to lie with them, which means to sleep with all his wives in broad daylight for everyone to see. If anybody knows the Old Testament, there's a lot of, uh, God puts down a lot of strange punishments. So like, you might be like, that's weird, but this is normal for the Old Testament. This just happens. God's punishments are very uh, interesting. So... At this, David is upset because he's like, oh my God, someone's going to sleep with all my wives in public. This is not great. So he gets upset and he's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And he tells Nathan, I'm really, really sorry about what happened. So Nathan's like, okay, fine. Um, You've confessed and now you have to just repent. Like, so what he does is he starts to build a temple to God um, as part of his repentance. Another thing that starts to happen after Nathan comes is that his first son, the son he has with Bathsheba gets super, super sick. So David, he's going to this, he's going to the temple. He's praying every day and night. He's like, God, please, please, please don't let my son die. But he's super, super sick. Unfortunately, he dies. Um, and 
David accepted this as a punishment from God for what he did um, to Bathsheba's husband. And he went into the house. It says he went to the house of Yahweh and worshipped him. So even though he knew, like, he was super sad at sundown, he, he realized that he had done something really wrong and this was part of his punishment. So after this, God was like, okay, fine. You, I took away your son. You prayed to me. You did your best. You've repented. I forgave you. So Bathsheba got pregnant again and she had a second son. And this son is Solomon. And this son... Okay, so Solomon's name means peace. Um, and it's because it represented the peace now between David and God. So I thought that was interesting. So David got older and his oldest son, Absalom, Absalom, his oldest son, Absalom, was like, I should be the king. And David was old and he was getting kind of sick. It says in the Bible that he had this cold that he couldn't, stop being cold they even brought like other women to like try to lay with him to make him warm and it didn't work i guess that was their solution <laughs> instead of using blankets they're like bring good looking women <laughs> but he didn't get warm so it wasn't great um <laughs> so so um after this so, so absalom was like oh i'm supposed to be king and david's like okay fine whatever I'm sick. Like, I'm dying. I can't deal with this right now. But then Bathsheba and Nathan came again and they were like, David, don't forget the promise you made to God. Now, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible what he actually said or what that promise was, but it obviously had something to do with making Solomon king. So David was like, sorry about that, Absalom. Solomon has to be king. So Absalom was super pissed, but whatever. That's what we're going to do. And just for your own knowledge, later on, um, a different one of his sons... Adonijah, Adon, Adon, Adonijah, Adonijah, I'm sorry, Adonijah, he also declared himself king, and he's the one actually who went out here and slept with 10 of David's wives in public to like show that his dominance, like that didn't work, like Solomon was still king, it didn't matter, like he just did that to be weird. So we were not going to talk about them anymore. So now we're on the With Solomon. his like sister moms or whatever. Yeah, you know, I know, it's like, like it's a father's wives like that. yeah those are like your stepmoms like that's creepy but whatever he <laughs> he didn't end up being king so it doesn't matter <laughs> like, like, he went into obscurity we don't talk about him anymore okay so now solomon's king and we're all very excited because again solomon was smart and he was hot so everyone's like yes we're, we're into it <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> so solomon the biblical king we'll start there first he was really good at trading he became one of the richest kings that ever lived in the Bible. He made, um, he was making, they say that there was a possibility that he was trading with lands as far as Spain, like for different stuff, ivory, pearls, peacocks. I don't know, <laughs> gold, silver, like all sorts of stuff. Um, now, the thing Solomon's known the most for, that everybody knows this story, if you're Jewish, if you're Christian, if you're Muslim, if you've ever known anybody from these traditions, you've probably heard this story. One time, Solomon is the king, okay, now? And he, one time, these two women, they brought to Solomon this problem they had. They lived, I guess, in the same place. And they slept, they both fell asleep at night, okay? Woman A had a baby and woman B had a baby. Woman A fell asleep and so did woman B. Woman A woke up and her baby was dead. She had rolled over on the baby. So she went and took woman B's baby and switched the babies. 
So when woman B woke up, she was like, oh my God, my baby's dead. And then she looked at the baby and she's like, that's not my baby. And she looked at woman A and she said, woman A, that's my baby. And the woman A said, absolutely not. This is my baby. And she's like, well, we must go to the king because there's no DNA test because it's the year like 950 BC. <laughs> so like, so they go to King Solomon. And what does he say? He says, okay, this is what we're going to do. We'll just cut the baby in half since nobody can get along. And the one woman, woman B, who it really was her baby, she says, absolutely not. Let her take the baby then, because I'd rather her take the baby than anybody hurt my baby. And Solomon knew from that moment that it was woman B's baby, because the other lady was like, eh, okay. <laughs> like, who, who agrees to this? <laughs> but the original woman was freaking out, so we knew it was her baby. So that's the big story that everybody knows of Solomon and his wisdom. Now, the other thing you might not know is how Solomon got his wisdom. So Solomon, he made a big sacrifice to God. I don't know exactly what the sacrifice was, but he made a giant sacrifice. And he fell asleep one night and in the dream, God appeared to him and asked Solomon what he wanted. And he said, Solomon being such a good dude, he said he wanted the wisdom to guide his people. That was why he wanted wisdom, not just for himself, so he could be a good king. So God guaranteed him all the wisdom um, in the world, basically. So he was the wisest person in the world. Now, he also constructed the first official temple, which his dad had started to God. And it's a big, 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 beautiful temple um, that was destroyed in a couple wars. But um, it was the first official temple. So we love him for that. Now, also, Solomon, like we said before, he was hot. and He was a ladies' man. Okay? He had mad wives he had 700 wives and 300 concubines and when i was reading they said that he okay first of all he married a lot of foreign women which people didn't do back then it wasn't a thing you didn't marry foreign women they said that solomon loved every woman that he married and I'm, <laughs> they said he was a lover boy he met women he's like he was in love with every single woman that's what he said Except the Pharaoh's daughter. They never tell the name of the Pharaoh's daughter, but he said that was the only one he didn't love. He just married her for a political alliance so that he wouldn't have trouble with Egypt. Who knows? But that's what they said about Solomon. Solomon himself claimed that he loved all women. There is a text called the Song of Solomon, which is also just like a, a love poem about how, number one, how much Solomon loves women about how he just wants to, like, be with ladies all day and all night. And so if you think about it, like, that's the wisest man that ever lived, right? <laughs> and so is there wisdom in that? That every yeah. time he would meet a girl, be like, I love you. <laughs> I just, I love you, right? Maybe that's what happens when you're so wise. And you understand everything. Then you see every woman and you fall in love. Duh. <laughs> These fools nowadays don't know. They don't know. But Solomon, he could love every woman. Yeah. And he probably saw, because like you're saying, he was so wise, he probably saw something in every woman that he loved about them. Except and you could the probably, Pharaoh's daughter, though. Except Not Pharaoh's her. daughter. He's like, eh, she's fine, but I don't love her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These other thousand women, I love them. <laughs> But her, no, she's just a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I know. 
they just like hang out sometimes? But he's like, I don't really like her like that. But like, she's alright. Like, I'm nice no, to but her. Maybe she wasn't nice. Maybe he was like, yeah, I'm too wise for that. Like, <laughs> yeah. you're not gonna. Yeah, maybe she. Who knows? She could have been like uh, a little bitchy. Who knows? We don't like her. But, but he it's did. Fine. He loves women from everywhere, and so the only one. You, it's a big no-no for Jews to like be with non-Jews. That's like rule mm-hmm. number one of Jews, you know. <laughs> but you know who else was Moses as well? Moses, mm-hmm. he went out and uh, fell in love with a lady that wasn't of the tribe. Mm-hmm. So wise does as wise will do yeah i mean look there's hot ladies everywhere okay in your community and outside solomon <laughs> knew that he was like these beautiful women <laughs> he's like everywhere. i'm so into it <laughs> so so in one of the very famous stories of a beautiful woman that he fell in love with was um well we don't know the whole thing but this is what they say um the queen of sheba so he met the Queen of Sheba. I think she went to Israel. Yeah, I think she traveled there, I believe. Yeah. And she, because she heard about how wise this guy was. And she probably heard about how hot he was. And she's like, <laughs> I want to meet this guy. Okay, here's the thing, too. He was wise, he was hot, and he was rich. Like, what's the problem? Like, I really, really, like, this is great. And he was in direct communication with God. So if you had a, like, your boy also had a temple and could like talk to God and get shit I'm done. I'm saying he and could talk. He was a rock star because those poems. I'm telling you, the daddy and the son, they yeah. were like musical too. Yeah. So it's like, forget it. Yes. Done. It's, there was no bad thing about this guy. Like so. so the queen of Sheba, who just herself be... was like so hot, right? The queen of Sheba was oh. like super hot. So they're like super hot. Shit. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what happened. So they met. And apparently part of the story, too, is that they were talking. And he was like, damn, you're smart. And she's like, damn, you're smart. And then they banged, apparently. So they banged. A lot, too. And she. A lot. A lot. And. <laughs> so they said. They said. The, the Queen of Sheba. He, so Solomon's like, stay. Stay here with me. And you can be one of my wives, no problem. I have 700 others. They all get along. It's not an issue. Um, and she was like, no, I got to go home. Like, <laughs> I got to go, like, see my people. So she went home. And then from there, so where she was from is, like, the area. It was, like, a bunch of different countries that it exist today. So it was part of Eritrea, Ethiopia, a little bit of Sudan, they say. So they say... That the line of kings now from Ethiopia descend from the Queen of Sheba and the baby she made with Solomon because she was pregnant. That's what they say. And they descend that line all the way down to the last king of Ethiopia, who is Haile Selassie, who is highly regarded as the, quote, Lion of Judah, which is um, the central figure in Rastafarianism. So if anybody listens to you know, Bob Marley, especially, or other Rastafarian music, they talk a lot about the Lion of Judah. They're talking about Haile Selassie, and they call him the Lion of Judah because he's related to King Solomon. So that's, well, that's what they say. And there are a lot of Ethiopian Jews. So Ethiopian Jews are like one of the many nations where there's like a strong Jewish culture. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of Jews in Ethiopia and a lot of Ethiopian Jews who are all the descendants of... King Solomon, no big deal. 
Yes. No, big, some, no <laughs> big deal. You know? And so the overlap between Rastafarianism and Judaism is there. There's definitely a Venn diagram where they meet in, in that. Yes. Yeah. Even like Rastafarianisms have like a special diet that they follow, which if you read it is basically like a kosher diet. Um, they don't eat pork. Um, they separate certain foods. They stay away from like it's 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 a lot like a kosher diet. It's pretty similar, so it's very interesting. So we have a connection there. Um, what is uh, oh the other thing I wanted to say related to Rastafarianism before I move away from it is Solomon. They say was an herbalist because he was so smart. He knew all about these different herbs. So a lot of people. In Rastafarianism, you know, it's known for people smoking marijuana, but they also said that this was like the herb of Solomon, and this is what helped make Solomon wise. But Solomon may have just known about it because he was so smart. Who knows what he did with it, but that's something that they do and something that they say. And they found so. they found cannabis at the temple. They found cannabis in the altars oh, of the temple and the remnants of the temple. In the hostels of the temple, there is cannabis as part of, like, the burning herbs, too. Yeah. So, yes, the priests makes were sense. stoners. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense, right? Like, it's bringing you to a higher consciousness. 100%. So, oh, yes. Okay, so now we get to magical Solomon. So, like I said, in, like, the medieval times, there were a lot of texts came up where people started interpreting different things from the Bible, especially, like, magicians, and they found, and this is what they said, is that Solomon was like the king of being a high, high magician. Like he understood because he was so wise, all these things about magic, about alchemy, um, things that like nobody else understood. And God granted him all these gifts. One of the big things that Solomon got from angels that it is, it is said he received four magical stones from angels. One enabled him to talk to animals. Two enabled him to move heaven and earth wherever he wanted them, I guess. Three gave him dominion over angels. And four, he was able to bind and command demons, which is crazy. But you'll see how this actually works out for him. So part of this story was that he built this temple and he built a lot of different things. He didn't just build a temple. He was like an architectural genius, this guy. He built all sorts of stuff. He built this throne that supposedly moved. I don't know, but it's very interesting. You can read about it. He built um, multiple buildings because he wanted his city to be beautiful and he wanted people to benefit it for it. And he was trying to honor God. One thing that he did do that in the end they say God kind of got mad about was because he had all these wives, and we touched on this before, he let all of his wives practice their own religions because they were foreign, most of them. He didn't have a problem with that. Um, at the end, they say that he got a little too into their stuff and God kind of got pissed off about that. But <laughs> like, but my he God was is very... jealous. Yes. Yeah. He's, he, yes, exactly. Um, but he let all his wives practice the um, religion of wherever they were from. So this was unheard of. Like you said, this the, it was also unheard of for him to marry all these foreign ladies. So that happened. So he built all these different temples for them and their gods. Um, so Solomon also had a lot of riches. One thing, oh, he also had a ring. All those stones that I just talked about, he put in a ring, kind of like Thanos, 
Like, oh. like he had literally had a ring and it had a special um, symbol, which is like the Star of David. And it was made of gra- brass and iron. And it had the ineffable name of the creator. So, you know, the name that nobody's supposed to say because nobody's really supposed to be able to say it. Um, he could speak to spirits, animals, and they say demons. Now, demons is interchangeable because, okay, because now we have to look at the context. The context was medieval Christian Europe. So they said demons. But before that, they said jinn. They didn't say demons and jinn are different than demons. We could go on. We're going to probably have a whole podcast where we talk about jinn, but we're, that's not today. So I'm going to give you this quick thing. So jinn um, are magical. Jinn, the anglicized name of jinn is genie. Okay. This is these magical creatures. Mostly this is like a folklore from the Middle Eastern countries, Northern Africa. Um, and these are spirits. There's different levels to it. Just like angels, different levels of jinn, different types. They're not necessarily evil. They can be like fine and they can be nasty, but they're more just kind of like spirits that are just there. They're, they're also called spirits of the smokeless fire, which I think is really interesting. Um, but in a lot of different countries, they have uh, folklore that involves jinn. Jinn is the same thing like in Aladdin that kind of jinn. And actually there's a connection to Aladdin in this too, um, that story. So actually there is some folklore in Northern African countries I read that says you shouldn't leave food out at night because jinn could come and mess with your food. They're tricksters. So they're not necessarily good or bad, but if they are bad, they might poison your food or they might do some type of magic to your food and that's not good for you. But apparently if you put a stick over the food and you say, this is the stick of Solomon, they can't come near it because that's how powerful Solomon was and he controlled jinn. So all jinn are freaked out by hearing about Solomon. <laughs> so he also, it says he, he controlled 72 different spirits. They call them demons. Like I said, some say they were jinn, but the Christian magicians call them demons. And they even have the names of all of them, the Christian magicians. 72 is not a random number also because there are 72 names of God. Oh, and there's 72 caro cards. Listen, hmm. just saying. I know. They're all, oh, and I didn't even realize that. <gasps> wow. 72 names okay. of God. Yeah. 72 names of God. Damn. For the Jews. So, okay. And you know, in Jewish stories, when whenever there's a number of something, it's yes. not a fluke. They they yes. just don't joke around <laughs> with numbers. <laughs> yes. Every number is a code for another number. That's a code for another number. The whole story is like very codifies and codified. <laughs> so when you take like, for instance, it will say like a piece of a story here. They will bring it back. There's a callback in another story. <laughs> And they'd be like, remember how we said this about this guy? Well, now this about that guy. And it's all like intertwined, right? Yeah. Yes. It's so crazy. Oh, my God. This is. No, thank you for putting that. That's so interesting. Um, So there's also. So speaking of the demons, um, there is this one demon. And this is a quick story. So there's this one demon. I've copied this off of Wikipedia. And his name is. Asmodeus. And actually, 
in next week's episode. So talk about connections. The next like week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about Asmodeus too. He's going to come back up. Um, Okay, so this is the story. He goes on to state to Solomon that Solomon asked him one day, what could make demons more powerful over a man? And Asmodeus asked to be freed and then he would freed and given Solomon's ring so that he could demonstrate. Solomon agreed, but Asmodeus threw the ring into the sea and it was swallowed by a fish. Damn. Asmodeus then swallowed the king and stood up fully with one wing touching heaven and the other earth and spat out Solomon to a distance of 400 miles. The rabbis claimed that this was divine punishment for Solomon having failed to follow the three divine commandments and Solomon was forced to wander from city to city until he eventually arrived in an Ammonite city where he was forced to work in the king's kitchens. Solomon gained a chance to prepare a meal for the Ammonite king, which the king found so impressive that the previous cook was sacked and Solomon was put in his place. The king's daughter, Nama, subsequently fell in love with Solomon because duh. (laughs) But the family, thinking Solomon was a commoner, disapproved. So the king decided to kill them both. Oh no, by sending them into the desert. Solomon and the king's daughter wandered the desert until they reached a coastal city where they bought a fish to eat, which just happened to be the one that had swallowed the magical ring. Damn, that was good luck. Solomon then was able to regain his throne and expel Asmodeus. So, um, so yeah, that's one story about Solomon. And so it's said also that Solomon, he controls all these demons, these jinn, but the only one he's afraid of is Asmodeus because he put him through hell. So he doesn't really like Asmodeus and you don't want to hear his name. Um, so when he wanted also to cons- to control these demons, he sealed them in vessels. One story says he sealed them in multiple vessels. One story says he sealed them in a vessel and threw them into the sea. Hence why some stories say that jinn are usually in a bottle or like the genie in the bottle in Aladdin. It's because Solomon had, pr- had put all these genies in bottles and they kind of ended up all over the world. So that's one connection to Aladdin and like those stories. Um, Also Solomon, the last thing I'll tell you about Solomon and his magic is that he apparently built a giant castle that nobody can find. And he's the only one who can enter it. And he had the demons build it. Um, That was another thing too. They said that the demons actually were the one, he commanded the demons so well that he made them build all these architectural projects that he had, including the temple. They said he controlled them and he forced them to build all these things. And um, that's just how powerful he was. So like I said, in the end, um, that God got kind of mad at Solomon for letting his wives build all these temples. And he was real busy commanding all the demons. And, and God was like, you're not worshiping me enough. So he got kind of irritated. And he told Solomon, I'm going to split your kingdom in two. And there will never be a united Israel ever again. So what happened was after Solomon died, his son took over. There was, And they weren't treating like the northern tribes very well. So they then ended up splitting into the, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. And then the part of the kingdom of Israel, they were expelled from their lands, hence why they were called the lost tribes of Israel after that. And they said that was part of God's punishment to Solomon for what he had lacked to do, basically. 
Um, but in the end, Solomon was a magician. He was an herbalist. He knew, oh, he also built a beautiful bath in one of his palace in the temple. Um, a, it's called a, a mikvah, which is like a ritual bath for Jewish people. Um, I know that from reading Unorthodox. That's the only reason I knew how to um, <laughs> pronounce that word. <laughs> um, and it could heal anybody. It could heal their wounds. It could heal your spirit. It could heal any sickness, which is very cool. Um, so that's some stuff about Solomon. Uh, I love Solomon. He sounds like an awesome guy. He was really just out here trying to do his best. I so have a, a next level of layer for you that you are going to adore. Okay. I'm ready. So <laughs> there is a word on the street. So these streets, like I, I, I would look for documentation on it, but just a quick Google search didn't bring much. But here's a rabbit hole for you to get into is that some people say that Solomon became Siddhartha, who became Buddha. Some people That's say cool. that. Some people. There are people who have said that the times coincide, the timeline coincide, the stories match. Hmm... That does make sense. So I'm not saying that Solomon is Buddha. I'm just not not saying that Solomon is not Buddha. <laughs> yes! <gasps> so there's that. a story like this, right? Because he then mm -hmm. he disappears. So then the temples are destroyed. And where is he? We don't know. There is no tomb. Mm -hmm. There is a tomb of David. You go yes. to Jerusalem, there's a tomb of David right next to the old temple. Mm -hmm. There's no tomb for Solomon. We don't know. Where is he? Your yeah. dude left. He left. And like you said, he had many wives from many cultures. And he mm -hmm. was getting into some different types of shit. So, mm -hmm. my God being very jealous and very mm -hmm. possessive does not like one to get into cool other stuff and so someone yeah. might have had to go do his cool stuff somewhere else mm. Mm. interesting there's a link and then when you look at when we match the stories so of a lot of like the mystical parts of it where they meet in astrology, where the chakras are kind of like the Kabbalistic um, uh, sephiras. You know, the sephiras are like the chakras for the Jews mm -hmm. and Jewish mysticism. And so they match. They match. Mm -hmm. The stories match on a lot of things at that level of mysticism. And so people think that Solomon is the missing link. Oh my god, that's so no cool. Big deal. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. That makes sense though. Oh damn, yeah, I'm gonna look have that said up tonight. That. Yeah, people have wow. said that. So I don't know if there is like such a thing as like proper documentation, but I've heard it myself like a lot of times. People have told me mm. that. It's it's part of the backstories of possibility. Wow. 
Well, that makes a lot. Solomon was into so much that makes sense. Yeah, and he kind of just. Yeah, it doesn't say it's like Solomon was dead and we know, like you said, where he is. And there was, because he was a king. It would have been a big deal if he died. There's you tombs know? for everybody. You go to Israel, there's mm-hmm. a tomb for everybody. There's no tomb for Solomon. Everybody yeah. has one. David has one. Samuel has one. Jacob mm-hmm. and Joseph and Isaac. They all have it. They, you know where to find them. You know where they are. Yeah. Solomon? No. Solomon. And then another story, which is cool, is that so when the when the temple got destroyed, when Solomon got temple got destroyed, so the Jews started getting dispersed for the first time. So it's the first destruction of the temple. After there's like another building of a next temple, the temple mm-hmm. gets destroyed three times, all mm-hmm. all in all, you know, until the last one is at the Romans by Jesus' time. So much, much later, mm-hmm. right? So, um, but by Solomon, by the destruction of the first temple, the first um, migration migration out of mm-hmm. Israel is when the Moroccan Jews went to Morocco. So the Moroccan oh. Jewry is since then. Huh. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're the first exports. <laughs> And exactly like you said, because because Solomon's temple went so far and made commerce so far, he was like, Mm -hmm. you, my folks, I send you for the olives. And my ancestors were like, aye, aye, Captain. (laughs) We're going to go make that olive oil for you. (laughs) He brought back one olive and he's like, I like this. Please get some more for me. (laughs) How did you cook it? They're like, just some tomato, a little bit of olive oil, garlic, plenty of garlic, <laughs> a little bit of cumin, and yes. take the lemon. <laughs> you just grate it. You don't have to brine it, but like, if you want to, you can. <laughs> I love that. Yes. And yeah. Oh my God. And then also, like you had said before, there's the songs of Solomon who like, like we said, he's a singer. He wrote songs, erotic poems, basically. And then there's a lesser key of Solomon, which is a book, and the greater key, which they also say has some magical text in it. Um, so there's a lot of stuff. A lot of people be studying Solomon. And I just want to say, like you brought up uh, Jewish mysticism. I was like, oh, I want to talk about Jewish mysticism. But then I just ended up talking about Solomon because you can't just talk about it. It's a thing. Like, it's very complicated. It, people study Jewish mysticism for their whole entire lives. Like it's that complicated and complex. It's not like, I remember in the nineties, I think when um, Madonna started wearing like one red bracelet and she's like, I'm into Kabbalah now. And I was like, what? <laughs> what is that? It's, I love that. Not... Yeah. She even said, <laughs> she said, I'm a Kabbalist. And people were like, yeah, girl, what? no, like actually, <laughs> you're not. You're a pop it's singer. Not... You're the <laughs> queen of pop. You're the queen of pop. Exactly. It's just. Exactly. And and it's you can't... cute, the bracelet and stuff, you know, sure. Yeah. But a red bracelet does not make you a capitalist. It does not. No. No, and like, it's, this is like a serious subject that, like I said, there are uh, just scholars and rabbis who spend their whole entire lives 
studying this stuff. And then even at the end, they're like, damn, there's still way more to do. But I'm like 99 now I have to die at some point. So <laughs> it's like, it's not easy. It's not something you just learn. It's like fascinating when you go down a Jewish mysticism rabbit hole. But I was like, we don't have time for that. Like, but it's really, really so cool. So fun story <laughs> is that I was born into that hole because my dad, you know, like when I told you, like my dad, he was into mystical stuff. So that's what my dad yeah. is one of these people who spent his oh, wow. whole life studying and teaching. So it's so funny. Like I had no idea this. We were going to go there together. But yeah, like this is this is this is what I grew up in. Okay, so weirdly enough, like every almost every single time I do an episode, I don't know, like I kind of guess what we're gonna talk about, and I try to connect it from like the bare things I might know about you, and it always connects in all these different ways, and it's just like this is why I like have so much fun doing this. Like it's, it's really like, all cool. These it's really pop cool. Out. It's part of like your intuition also about that person. Like, okay, we're gonna yeah. talk about that. Like you're the first person to talk to me about Solomon. I'm so grateful. Like this is like a very obscure area of nerdery for me because obviously like I'm not a religious person, but I'm mm-hmm. very Jewish and very educated in these things actually. Like I yeah. these stories are, you know, are my stories. Yeah. It's a big part of your culture too, you know what I mean? So that's awesome. <laughs> so it really happy. is and you know one thing that i wanted to tell you you know like so um mm-hmm. one of the names that you use on instagram sankofa right i was mm-hmm. um one day i fell into a hole of retrograde the meaning of retrograde thinking about mm-hmm. the philosophy of what a retrograde is looking backwards to go and learn and then yeah. i went into a hole of the philosophy of looking backwards. And then I fell into this and I was reading yes. about it and reading about Ghana and reading about, and I was like, oh my God. And then when you reached out to me, I was like, Ashley, I was just looking into that. That's crazy. You That's know? so funny. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, it literally means go back and get it. Um, so yeah, like she, like Sarah's saying, Sankofa, which is, uh, like I tell you guys at the end of the show, it literally means to go return and get it. And it like philosophically means to always like never forget where you come from and your culture. Cause there's always going to be a connection to that. So, oh, Damn, boy. wow. <laughs> yes. Wow. No what big episode. deal. What an episode. <laughs> it's my favorite podcast i've ever done period <laughs> yeah yay i made yeah, it Ashley, you win. <laughs> oh my god well this is so fun but it's come to the uh end of our time um so sarah where do you want to be found on the internet or whatever you want to shout yourself out so yeah, I'm Astro Auntie. So my website is astroauntie.com. A S T R O A U N T I E dot com. I'm Astro Auntie on Instagram. People can find me uh on the internet and reach Yay. out to me and study with me and do readings with me. I do all the things. I teach and I 
coach and I counsel with astrology. So, yeah. Yay! Thank you this so much, Ashley. So this was so fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'll send you some recipes, girl. Yeah. <clears throat> I will make them. I will definitely make them. Yes, you um, will. I see you have yeah. good taste. <laughs> yes. This is going to be made of olives for the next couple months now. <laughs> yes. Eating. Every day at work, my, my, my co-worker is like, you eat olives again? I'll be like, sure am. <laughs> <laughs> I found this recipe and I can't stop making it. <laughs> You're going to be addicted. Be careful. I'm going to be addicted. I know. So, everybody, like I said, thanks so much for coming for thank this you, week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'll just do my short plug one more time. So, um, this is Dying with the Divine, and we're Dying with the Divine on Instagram and Dying with the Divine on Facebook. And like I said, if you like the show, give us a five-star rating wherever you listen, share, like, whatever you like to do. Um, and feel free to email me at dyingwiththedivinepod at gmail.com. And if you want to follow me, Ashley, I'm Sankofa, H-S, S-A-N-K-O-F-A-H-S, and Sankofa Healing Sanctuary on Facebook. So thanks so much for being here, and I'll see you Thank all next you. week. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much, Ashley. This was the best. I loved it. Yay! Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye.